Aloha, and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we take our favorite books off the shelf, dust them off, and remind ourselves why we love them. I'm Tom Galley. Joining me today, we've got Tony Pasculi. Happy to be here. And what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about a, uh, a Neil Stevenson novel, but but not the one you're thinking of. It's... Uh, it's not, uh, it's not Anathem, it's not Reemdy, it's not the Cryptonomicon, it's definitely not Snow Crash. This is one of his early novels called Zodiac, who I don't think I've actually ever met someone else in real life who's read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet I would have counted it as one of my, I, I said would have, I spoiled for you there. I would have counted it as one of my favorite novels. I remember really loving this novel when I first encountered it. I, I read Snow Crash and was blown away by it and then wanted to read everything else I could find by Stevenson. And then I read Zodiac and I think I loved it even more. Um, but, um, and we'll get into this when we talk about sort of what favorites are and why we pick them. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what your reaction to this book was before we get into that. Okay. Well, this was, uh, this was a completely new to me novel and I'm not sure it's not a completely new to me author. Um, none of the books that you listed are, are familiar. I've heard the name <laughs> Snow Crash, but I, you know, I'm thinking that I need to go look some of these books up at this point. Um, so initially as I started paging through, um, I really was gripped by it quickly, and it was a page turner early on. Yeah. Um, I loved the uh, the lead character. Um, I loved the fact that he was this um, this basically environmental ninja. Um, uh, I, you know, there, there's a segment in there where he's just wandering aimlessly through a hardware store trying to figure out what he can do to plug up the vents on a one mile long drainage pipe. I love that um, scene. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. I mean, and we've all done that. We've all had a need and spent, you know, an hour pacing through the hardware store, just looking for the magic combination of unrelated things that will fill <laughs> what we're trying to do. Um, and it was just really, really fascinating to me. Um, and then, you know, he as he gets into it, he brushes up against this really nasty, particularly nasty toxic thing. I'm like, okay, we've stumbled onto the plot, finally. <laughs> and then he wanders away from it. I thought, oh, okay, well, that's odd. And he goes off and he environmentals somewhere else for a while. I thought, okay. Um, and then he comes back and he's environmentaling around Boston again and he stumbles up against this thing. And I'm like, okay, this really has to be the plot at this point. And then he wanders off somewhere else and thinking, okay, what is this book about? You know, halfway through the book and at the moment, we have no clearly defined antagonist here. I mean, toxic waste is the antagonist, right? Yeah. But there's, there's not a clearly pointed finger um, and conflict to balance. This guy's in conflict with everybody, <laughs> including the people who are helping him out, uh, who are ostensibly his friends. And he's becoming less and less likable the farther I get into the book. He's a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah <laughs> in, in the uh, the forward to the book, um, the, the author, uh, Neil, is talking about, you know, one of the early um, proofreaders for the book said, you know, your character is really an asshole. And he thought, <laughs> I'm doing this the way I want it. Uh, this was a good thing to him, the fact that there's that reaction. And then we wander off further and further, and then he comes back up to this 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 particular thing in Boston. It's like, okay, this just it just has to be the plot. This can't not be the plot. And it turns out, okay, so this actually is going to be the plot. And Neil, our, our, our hero here in the Zodiac, is not the one that fixes it. Hmm. It gets fixed by somebody else who he bumped up against the way, who early <laughs> on tried to recruit him. And another guy, a scientist in a the basement, they're the ones that actually fix it. Yeah. He just happens to be around when it gets fixed. And it's actually not through any direct intervention of his own that anything gets fixed, at least about the main plot. And then, you know, at the end of the book, the big payoff is he's got a new Zodiac. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it was a roller coaster book for me in that I kept wondering when we were going to get around to whatever it is the book was about, uh, only to find out that the character we followed just kind of missed it. Yeah. Um, there, there was a plot, and he kept tapping up against it and glancing off. It's it's fascinating. I, I the the phrase I came up with for this is a fast ride on a rough road because it, mm. it's it's really breakneck. Only you're not always sure where you're going, and it's incredibly jarring in places. I, his, the way he treats the women in his life, uh, the way he treets his friends. Um, yeah. Although he, he treats anyone, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, he's consistent. I'll give him that. <laughs> he is that. Uh, and then Stevenson, and I, part of this, I think, is down to it being one of his earlier books. Um, Stevenson will will sometimes skip over stuff. I think Stevenson is a very bright guy, and he assumes his readers are bright too. But we're not we're not telepathic, and we don't know what is in his head as he's writing these things. Yeah. And I think sometimes he skips some steps. Um, in particular, I don't know if you remember the boardroom scene where he's stumbling around and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and he's completely dumbfounded. And then they drag him into this boardroom with with two of the bad guys, and then he lays out the whole plot as if by osmosis. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> he, he suddenly has intuited all these things. Yeah. That all proved to be accurate. Yeah, and it's like, well, that's plausible, but you know, show your works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, one of the things that uh, if if I were going to nitpick the, well, we'll just nitpick whatever it is. Um, so we, we have the, the bad guys are trying to cover up something horrific they did. They, they mm-hmm. dumped these, these uh, transformers in the bay, you know, decades yeah. ago. And they knew that someday the bill was going to come due, that these PCBs were going to get out. And yeah. they have made a organic life form that eats PCBs. Yeah. And they've turned it loose. Okay, so they turned it loose without proper testing. But this is not necessarily the mark of a bad guy, right? They've actually made something that's wonderful that people should be celebrating. And simultaneously, they made something that reverses the process. It turns salt water into PCBs. Yes. And you see, this this is a problem because, I mean, if, if you discover a process by which you can turn flour into cake, that doesn't mean the same process can be used to turn cake into flour. That really stretched my credulity there that they could come up not only with a process, but with an antithetical process um, in the same batch of things that got loose at the same time. That I didn't have a problem with that. I did have... Well, it does make them clearly evil, and it and this this thing they come up with is uh, is in a, in a way a sort of a toxic ice nine because once you release it into a body of water, a body of salt water, it doesn't stop. It's just going to destroy all your salt water. They had to, they have a kill mechanism built into it, but it wasn't very effective. Yeah. Uh, and so they had to what the heroes have to do is find another way to stop this other bug. Um, but yeah, as you say, the the first bug is a good bug, and their mistake. The thing that makes them villainous is one, they release it without testing, and two, they're using it to cover up a crime. They are using it for nefarious ends, but yeah. nonetheless, it's a good thing. You know? yes. so, I mean, they, they, they should have gotten a little bit of credit, I felt, for that. <laughs> um, the head of the villains was just so villainy villainous. He um, really was. He really was. I mean, the, <laughs> the jig is completely up. He has been outed. He has been exposed. There's media everywhere. His toxic dumping cargo liner has been stolen. And yet he still takes the time to shoot our protagonist. <laughs> it's game over. And he's going to stick attempted murder charges on top of everything else yeah. that's already going up. Why? Because he's the bad guy. He also kills a cat. So, uh, yeah. That's what I had forgotten it's about. Irredeemable. 
Wait, no, did he kill the cat? He didn't kill the cat. It was the, the artist roommate that killed the cat. It was the roommate kills the cat? Not the roommate, but... Uh, oh, oh, the, the landlord. Was he the one that killed the cat? I forget who killed the cat, honestly, at this our, point. Our hero had gone away for a bit and had let some random person stay in his apartment. And when mm. he came back, the apartment had been trashed. The cat had been killed with a placard that said meow put around yeah. his neck. But that wasn't that was not the villain. Mm. Unless there was another cat killed. And I, I don't think so. A lot happens in this book. He did book. in a lot of lobsters, <laughs> that's for sure. So, so getting back to the idea of favorite books, and, and one of the <laughs> metrics we've been using for what constitutes a favorite book is, is have you read it more than a couple of times? Mm -hmm. if, if you read it once and loved it, is it really a favorite or just a great book? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of books that fall into that category. There's books that I just thought were amazing that I've never bothered to go back and reread. Uh, and then there's books that I reread every 10 years, uh, like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which we've talked about. And my favorite, favorite books are the ones that I encountered early on in life and read periodically throughout and stuck with me, that it didn't drop away, that didn't, you know, as I got older, thought, oh, I only like this because I was young and it was one of the first books I ever read. No, they, they really, they have something there that, that sustains me even in adulthood. This is a book that I read several times but in a very narrow window of time. So I, I read it a lot in the, I want to say the late 90s, early 2000s. And I hadn't read it much before that. And then I read it several times and then I hadn't read it again afterwards. So coming back to it now was kind of a surprise. And because it doesn't have that broad stretch of time, in revisiting it, yeah, I don't think it is one of my favorite books after all. <laughs> but there are things I do still enjoy about it. And... Um, I would count it among the books that I love, despite all its many, many flaws. Uh, and and one of those is is the the protagonist is is a tough pill to swallow because he's such a bastard. Yeah. But at the same time, he follows this trope, which I love from other books that we've talked about, of the competent man. He is he is smart, and he executes. He gets shit done. He knows what he wants to do, and he's smart enough to figure out a solution. And he's then he's. Um, He's just got the, the, the juice to go and do those things, you know, which a lot of smart people don't. A lot of smart people go, yeah, I could solve the world, but nah, I can't be bothered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he is definitely tireless in his efforts yes. to, to make the world better, you know, make it safe from toxic waste. Or his real goal is actually just to punish those yes. who are releasing toxic waste and saving the earth is almost a, a, just a fringe benefit to that. He really, he really is kind of a vendetta. He is a, he's a vigilante. He's a, uh, an eco-vigilante. Not even an eco-warrior, but an eco-vigilante, yeah. Yeah, he, he fancies himself, what was it, the toxic Spider-Man. Yes. Um, which I think is giving himself too much credit. He's the toxic punisher. Yeah, yeah. toxic punisher, definitely closer. <laughs> yeah. You know, I really, I have to admit, though, I really enjoyed um, pretty much every time they describe in detail how they're sabotaging uh, these <laughs> systems. I really enjoyed those. Yeah. Um, you know, the fact that they backed a van up to a manhole and were offloading bags of cement to, to you know, block a, a giant culvert. And then they cleaned the manhole cover so that they could weld it in place and pour epoxy on top of it and pour cement on it and put a piece of plywood on that and park the van on top of it. <laughs> After which they disabled the van by flattening the tires, pulling the valve stems and removing the uh, distributor yeah. cap. So, this 
is a blueprint for eco-terrorism, you know, yeah, or eco-sabotage at the, the very the least. The tactics were really grounded and really detailed. There's not a lot of hand-waving here. He's, he's either, either he's been embedded with an outfit like that or talked to some people or he's got a phenomenal imagination. Yep. Uh, I think any of those things could be true. Um, yeah, and it's wonderful. That's one of the things I love about this. I love when people go into massive, massive technical detail about stuff. It's another reason I like science fiction. And this book is not, I mean, aside from the genetic engineering, you wouldn't really call it science fiction. It's very plausible. It's very present day. Um, but it reads like science fiction to me. Yeah. So I, I lump this in with science fiction. Yeah. I, I could see that. Although this, you know, like you said, this is really just a case. I mean, the, the science fiction, which is the, the bioengineering thing, only exists as a, as a plot point. Not as, yeah. It's not, and like you said, the ramifications of this are, well, they could really be dire, but they're not really explored. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just keep coming back around to the fact that our, our protagonist is really incidental to the entire thing. I mean, he's <laughs> he's not all that important in the discovery. I mean, he, he is part of the discovery, but it would have happened without him. Mm -hmm. um, he's not at all involved in development of a cure, and he's not at all involved in the application of the, the cure. He, he really, as much as anything, he's there to document the fact that this happened. Yeah. And he's a yeah he's a he's a lens through which to view all this stuff and he's a very he's a very active lens he's not a passive observer mm -hmm. he's in true. there he's he's mixing it up he is pulling some elements together that might not have otherwise connected I think um, yeah maybe they would have maybe they would have met up with each other anyway I don't know um, yeah but he's but he's certainly not a passive protagonist he's not he's the main character and he's the protagonist but he's not the hero yeah yeah. I think that's something I've been writing about recently, uh, trying to put something out. Just, you know, when, you're, when your main character is not your protagonist, when your protagonist is not your hero, when your main character is not your hero, could they be three different people? Um, yeah, which I think they sometimes are. I make a case for that. Um, so here I think he's the, he is the main character and he is a protagonist, but he is definitely not the hero. Someone else has to come in and save the day. And he's not even hero material, really. He's, he's <laughs> well, he's not hero or anti-hero, yeah. really. I mean, he's... Yeah. Well, whatever. Like he's a jerk, but he's he's a jerk who's doing good works. Um, he is with he's, good intentions. One of the possibly. things that really strikes me about him that that I found really off putting was his was his drug use. Um, which you know I'm not very judgmental about people who do drugs, but he 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 does make it. It's sort of a prince. He's got San Gammon. His first name is San Gammon. Uh, and he's got this principle called St. Gammon's principle, which is simpler molecules are better, mm -hmm. which is why he huffs nitrous. Uh, that it's, it's somehow better than alcohol. And he drives around in a van filled with huge hefty bags full of nitrous, which seems like dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and, and impractical. I mean, <laughs> without uh, detailing things that our listeners don't necessarily need to know, there are far more effective ways of managing nitrous uh, than squirting it into a hefty bag and hoping that there are no leaks or that you don't puncture it or that the, that it the grip you have around flames, the neck yeah. or, or that it doesn't burst into flames. There's static yeah. electricity involved. Or, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You ever spent any time on a Zodiac? I, I, I want to say that I've been on a Zodiac, but I've not been on a Zodiac at high speed and I've not spent a lot of time on one, no. I've got a buddy who has a Zodiac that uh, on rare occasions invites me to go fishing with him, and on rare occasions mm. I, I accept. Uh, uh, it is definitely the least comfortable water experience um, that I've <laughs> ever had. Uh, those things are just, you know, the you would think being on an inflated, cushy thing as it went careening over wave tops would 
absorb the shock, but it, it oh. kind of amplifies yeah, the shock. No. And there, there is no rigid bottom. I mean, so all of the vibration that the boat's experiencing. Oh, it's just a canvas. Well, it's it's a semi-rigid bottom, but okay. the the pontoons up there where you sit, um, but it's a single single layer bottom. So I mean, if it's like a piece of plywood and pontoons around the side. Yeah. Um, so I mean, when you're going along and you're slapping across the waves, every single slap goes straight up your spine. There's nowhere else for the shock to go. Well, that's one of the issues with this already. And one of the reasons it's so fast is the boat basically sits out of the water. Uh, it's not like a, not like a sailboat where you have this huge heavy keel, which dampens the vibrations, yep. but also slows yep, you yep. down enormously with the with the drag. It sits on top of the water. He talks about this at one point. We're basically well, only he does, but he really glosses over the <laughs> fact that you know sitting out of the water is not the same as flying above the water. You know, you see the, the people on the surfboards or the the riding boards that have got the submerged fin. Oh, the hydrofoils, yeah, yeah, the hydrofoils. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're a foot above the waves. No, you're not a foot above the waves in the yeah, zodiac. No. You you are crashing into the tops yes. of every single wave. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, my experience on a Zodiac was that it was terribly uncomfortable and I would never look forward to being on one. Well, maybe that informs his riding style. Maybe that's part of the metaphor. Again, I say it's a fast ride on a rough road. That's yeah. exactly what a Zodiac is. Exactly what a Zodiac <laughs> is. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did like the fact that he was just really loyal to that boat. Mm. Um, although he didn't hesitate for a moment to sink it when that served as in. Yeah, you know, he's he's nothing if not pragmatic. Yep. Yeah. Um. Oh shoot, I had something I was going to say and I have lost it. Oh well. Oh no, PCBs. I want to talk about PCBs and the idea of being an eco warrior in general. This is not. This is not my standard uh, genre. I do not. When I read about eco warriors in the press, you know, when I read about someone's attacking a whaling ship or something. I mean, whaling bad. Yes. Uh, people attacking other human beings who are whaling also bad, arguably worse. Um, so I'm not a fan of, of ecological justice in general. Uh, the environment's a good thing, let's protect it, but, but activists rub me the wrong way. But this character, in spite of that, in spite of him being an asshole, I find very compelling because he's, in part because of his pragmatism, but also in part because he is so scientifically uh, knowledgeable and he really makes a compelling case for how awful this stuff is. I found the PCBs to be absolutely terrifying. When he dissects the lobsters and finds the mm -hmm. lizards, the livers have basically dissolved, yeah, because they've incorporated so much of this stuff. Um, I, he talks about the effects that it's having on um, Dolmacher, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the company gives him the, the thing that basically turns salt water in his body into uh, these cholinergic projects, products. Uh, and the, uh, I highlighted this, the, um, the symptoms, the symptoms of this kind of, um, of poisoning are, is called SLUD, which stands for salivation, lacrimation, urination, and defecation. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that when he went into the hospital <laughs> when that, that acronym got chummed yeah. out to him. And, uh, and also, uh, chloracne. Uh, so you get an acne from these, from the chlorine, you just get this covered in, in blackheads. And it's it's horrific. It sounded, um, yeah, yeah. Horrific is a is a good descriptor for that. Yeah. But again, he goes after the poisoning. He doesn't. His goal is to put the poisoners in jail, but he's not one of the people who endorses attacking the poisoners. Right. Many of his cohorts do. And, right. And, and he allows that to go on without interference. We won't go yeah. so far as to say he supports it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, left to his own shtick. He would not be one that was, you know, clubbing a person who was trying to club a seal. That's that's another reason I think where I where I like this character, or one of the things I like about this character is that his tactics are 
are eminently more practical as well and less, um, you know, for all that he's a dick, his tactics aren't very dickish. They're, there's a sort of um, appropriateness in the, in the retribution of if you've got a toxic outflow and you're dumping stuff into the bay, we'll just block it. And so all that stuff comes spilling up your own drain pipe, you know, mm-hmm. inside your factory. Yeah. But he's not going out and shooting people uh, or trying to embarrass people in the press or, or that kind of thing in, in, with personal attacks. He's attacking them specifically on the grounds of their bad toxic behavior. Right. Yeah. And, and in fact, he passes up several opportunities to try and embarrass them in the press because yeah. he doesn't feel like he has enough evidence to do a credible job of it. And he doesn't yeah. want to be perceived as a kook. He doesn't want to be perceived as pulling off a smear attack. He wants, yeah. he yeah. wants objective facts and he wants you know, there to be consequences, legal consequences. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to get all the pieces. That's one of the reasons he doesn't act at the end. Is he doesn't have enough. He's not the one that manages to put all the pieces together uh, in order to pull off his, you know, his coup. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So so interesting book. I here's a here's a quote. I highlighted a couple of things um, in terms of his pragmatism, <laughs> his his almost ruthless pragmatism. Um, they have a van. Uh, and there's a, there's a guy in their organization who managed to, to destroy cars and he stalls out the car on the freeway and abandons it. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's going to cause trouble for the organization. So he goes out with a friend, they strip it for parts. He has already noted where the VIN is stamped on the, on the car and he puts thermal paste, uh, he puts thermite on each of those spots and, uh, and torches it. So it's mm-hmm. completely unrecognizable and untraceable to them. Uh, and then they wipe it down and abandon it. Yeah. So he's not above, he's not above, you know, it's not the abandoning the van that's a sin in his eyes. It's abandoning the valuable equipment in the van uh, and and leaving a trace that will come back to them. And he is just, again, has no compunction about just going out, salvaging and destroying this thing. Yep. Yeah. With very little, um, very little forethought. Just like, okay, then I just did this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just, seemed like a regular Tuesday night to sorts of things that he would do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. This is just part and parcel of it. I also love the fact that uh, knowing and recognizing the, the the questionable virtue of the people he was affiliated with, he would take preventative steps, like he would pull the distributor cord out of the engine yes. to stop people from using the car, figuring yeah. that you know most of the folks that he was running around with that he didn't want driving the car didn't have the brains to open the hood and go, <laughs> hey, that $2 part is missing. I can get that at the hardware store. You know? Yeah. And, and to clarify, he's not doing this to stop his antagonists who would be upset by his activities. He's doing this to stop the people in his own organization yeah, who will borrow co-workers. his car without asking them. <laughs> yep. Like I said, the guy who had trashed two cars in short order and was looking to get the third, get his hands on the third. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and he, this actually pays off later because when he's planning to steal the boat from one of these people, his first stop is to go to the hardware store and buy all of the parts that he would normally use to disable the boat. Exactly. Assorted spark, spark plugs, uh, spark plug cables, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that when they find the, the new motor, um, they're able to take it and get it running with very little effort. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is, I think the most recent book we've read in the thumbing through yesterday is another thing I've been thinking about, um, is, is what books qualify as yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so far we've been largely in the fifties and sixties, I think, and this one's from 1988, um, but still solidly in the last millennium. So I think that's fair game. Yeah. Yeah. We don't actually have this written down anywhere, but, uh, uh, Certainly anything that I encountered while I was still a student, I think, is, is fair game. Yeah. 
And that was a surprisingly long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a student as recently as 2014, so. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. we'll see. All right. Anything, any final thoughts on the Zodiac? Uh, I think if you're new to Stevenson, maybe this isn't the best place to start. If you're brand new, I would start with, uh, with maybe Snow Crash, especially if you're any kind of, uh, if you're a science fiction geek or a computer geek, uh, or maybe possibly Cryptonomicon. But this is shorter than a lot of his books. It is a very fast read. It's just, it's not one of his better books, but it is still a great deal of fun. I did have a great deal of fun reading this. And in, in some ways, the fact that it defied my expectations just added to that. Yeah. You know, I, when I closed the book at the end, it's like, well, I am unsatisfied on this count and this count and this count. That's kind of neat because yeah. books just don't <laughs> leave you unsatisfied on these particular. The fact that the the focal point of the book is not actually the hero. I mean, yeah. that's how many books can you name that do that? Not it's, very many. Uh, it's know? exhilarating in its unpredictability. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let's see. Our next episode, I'm going to choose a book by Stephen R. Donaldson. Uh, and to, to quote Tony, this is not the Stephen R. Donaldson book you expect it to be. Uh, normally when I think Donaldson, I think of uh, the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, or possibly the second Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, maybe even the third Chronicles of Thomas Covenant. But no, we are going to do the real story, the introduction into the Gap series. Looking forward to it. Indeed. Don't forget, we do have a Facebook page these days, so uh, feel free to like and subscribe, and who knows what tasty tidbits might appear there on your social media feed. All right, until next time. See you in two weeks. Aloha. Aloha.